12 minutes it is before 8 p.m. It's our wrap of the top business stories where we take a look at the latest in the world of money and power. And joining me to take a look at some of the big stories here is uh, analyst at APSA Asset Management, Roy Motoni. Roy, good evening to you and welcome. Thank you. Good evening to you too. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us. Roy, without a shadow of a doubt, the biggest story today in the marketplace uh, must have been that decision by President Sir Ramaphosa to uh, lift the generation uh, or embedded generation threshold. Uh, to 100 megawatts. Now, this, uh, I guess, is the wattage that one would be allowed to generate for themselves and their yes. production processes and others uh, mm-hmm. without having to go through a licensing process with the regulator. Correct, yes. I, I think it's next to impossible to, um, to, understand, to overstate how important this thing is, especially right now when we're all sitting in the dark, freezing, um, and not knowing whether we're in stage four, five, mm. or three. Um, I'll tell you a couple of things why it's really important. First of all, it's an acknowledgement that the policy that they've been following up until now has not worked and has delivered nothing. Secondly, it's also an acknowledgement that there is capital and willingness out there to assist in power generation and also the ability to mobilize relatively quickly. And said that ESCOM is not going to be able to do anything about this problem anytime soon, despite all we hear about maintenance, and generating units coming back and blah, blah, and all of that, ESCOM's not going to make a big difference. So when all of this is wrapped around in that result, in, in, in that announcement, and what it immediately does, it allows those people with the most urgent need to start investing now uh, because they can. Um, it allows ESCOM to focus on smaller users and then increases the threshold of mm. load shedding. It brings investment. Remember, we're, well, this is what we're talking about. We want investment. And also the timing is fantastic because right now, like the mining companies, remember, because of the platinum price and coal price and the iron ore price, they're all making real money. So they have an opportunity to invest that money rather than paying it out as dividends or big bonus. Mm. Roy, what does this mean for, for ESCOM? Because I guess many people have mm-hmm. argued that, you know, in a way... Uh, you're allowing ESCOM's better customers to generate their own energy, and effectively mm-hmm. that leaves you with a balance of potentially some of us as bad payers. Just remember that uh, ESCOM was made for us. We weren't made for ESCOM. The whole idea of ESCOM is that they need to sort out their, themselves from an operational perspective, and there's the debt issue that needs to be sorted out by, between the shareholder mm. and, and, and management there. What this allows ESCOM to do is like, focus on providing a service, um, get into a baseline where it can provide a consistent service. There'll always be demand for electricity. Remember, we haven't grown our electricity demand for the last, rather electricity supply for, what, 10 years now? Hmm. If, if all of these guys get off-grid, ESCOM sorts itself out. There's latent demand. You and I want to buy more stuff. There's other companies that want to start up and all that. There's no such thing as excess electricity in a, de- in a developing economy. All these guys are doing is buying ESCOM time and giving them breathing space so that they don't have to keep using expensive diesel, mm. which adds on to their debt, um, or keeping the lights on while shedding some people or killing industry. These guys, this, this thing just buys them time. And from a, the opportunity but, Roy, from a billing perspective, I mean, I, I think you're right in terms mm-hmm. of, I guess, the especially for the intensive energy users. Yes. Uh, it does give ESCOM space to have, you know, excess energy. Mm-hmm. But I guess, you know, these are some of the people who were effectively paying ESCOM. And I think there's, there's always question marks, not mm-hmm. just necessarily about the debt position of ESCOM, but its cash mm-hmm. flow position as well. 
Remember, the first, the biggest issue here is power. After mm. power is sustainability of ESCOM. Um, so you're right. Those guys will be able to defy their bills, or rather will be able to generate for themselves. It's unlikely that they'll all be able to do it completely. Mm. Um, but remember, they'll also have the opportunity, I guess, eventually, to sell onto the grid. Again, saving money from from, cap, from, mm. from ESCOM's capex. So I think it's good news all, all around. Maybe ESCOM needs to become smaller. Maybe it needs to be less complex. Uh, maybe this huge monopoly um, problem uh, situation doesn't need to exist in this way. So I think it's, this has given us a different way of thinking of things. Mm. ESCOM should not be the be-all and end-all. We shouldn't have this one big bottleneck to development and, and, and infrastructure investment. Yeah, and I guess, you know, that's a message that might resonate with a lot of people who are, who are listening to us this evening in the cold and the darkness uh, brought about yeah. by uh, some mm-hmm. of those challenges. Um, so, uh, yeah, certainly a, a story that might receive a re- receptive ear. Roy, it seems tomorrow we might find out uh, who the mysterious uh, strategic equity partner for SAA might be. Uh, that would be, yeah, that, that, that would, I think, be even more surprising and shocking. Or well, are you expecting another today. postponement? Because there might be that, right? I mean, we had anticipated some announcement today. Uh, yeah, they kicked the can me, down the road. Yeah. To me, I, I, I try to put myself in the shoes of somebody who's deep-pocketed, who runs airlines. And I wonder who in this current global environment sees this potential. But I guess it's all about the structure, Right. Um, if the person is given operating control uh, and they can put in their money and, ex- and, and extricate it when the time comes, then, then I think you have a business here. Remember that this job at Cape Town route is, is it, it, it's a globally busy route, so you can make some money. But if, if, if it's somebody who's coming and government will still run it and there's still a point who um, I really, it would be very interesting to see how they'd want to make it work. So like you, I'm very curious. The high probability is nothing happens. Um, but they said there is a partner. So yeah, I guess let's, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. If they're able to make the announcement today about power, maybe they can pull another one out for SAA. There's still a few question marks, Roy. Uh, yes. so at least of all for me, I mean, when it mm-hmm. comes to SAA. Um, not necessarily on the capital structure side. I think... You know, they've made it quite clear they wanted to pay down debt. They wanted to, to, to get a strategic equity partner in to recapitalize the operations. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in the operational side, routes. Yes. Uh, which segment of the market do you want to play in? Uh, because we're not talking here about some, some low-cost airliner, mm-hmm. uh, least of all in its old iteration. But it's unclear to me the kind of SAA that's going to emerge out of this mm-hmm. and the type of routes it's going to play in and its fleet also. So, so the question you need to ask yourself is, if we had a clear whiteboard, what, what would we need? What would we say we need? What would be the idea? So South Africa is far away from any of the major global centers or the sources of tourism, the sources of investment. So very clearly, we need to have a long-haul airline um, that is cost-effective um, and that is sustainable. Okay? Do we need SAA to operate within our borders? I think we've been shown very clearly that the low-cost airlines and the other guys, there's enough of a competitive market that prices are low and there's availability is there. So they really don't need to mix it in here. What we need is a lean, um, a, a lean um, long-haul um, airline that, that serves the purposes of um, bringing tourists here from places 
from faraway places at cost-effective rates, bringing business people here, being reliable, and maybe helping open up the African continent. Mm. That's what we need. We don't need another airline going just by Cape Town. That's not what we need. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you have another airline that does that in your same stable. I mean, which is no, absolutely. Right? <laughs> like it's, it's time to focus. It's time to understand what the country needs and and where the country benefits from having SOEs. Not having SOEs for the sake of having. Mm. I, I was I was actually talking to somebody yesterday about um, how much attention we sometimes dedicate or don't to the other parts of the SAA value chain. So. I mean, a lot of we've spoken a lot about SAA, the entity. Mm-hmm. Um, we also heard, you know, some money uh, through an appropriation would be released to Mango, which is one of the subsidiaries. Mm-hmm. But I don't hear as much about SAA Technical, which um, is a very critical player, not just for SAA, but many other aviation players uh, in no, terms absolutely. of the repair and maintenance. Uh, That's services. probably a business that could run itself. Mm. For, because remember, all of these guys, I mean, there was once I remember I sat on a plane with, with, with one of these executives who was coming back and he was saying, because of the problems at SAA, they're now moving all their maintenance to Frankfurt or places like that. No, for sure. There's, there's bits and pieces of SAA that function, that are critical, that, is, that are essential, and that provide a commercial service. There is no doubt about that. Your biggest problem is the big airline that requires a lot of capital has been run into the ground, does not make money, and does not have a semblance of a business plan. Hmm. That's your biggest problem. Mm. Well, if, if you had a, a commercially oriented manager or, or operator who recognizes the national imperative, who recognizes the need to be sustainable, uh, and who is held accountable, then all of these pieces would come together and you'd actually see great value. Um, you, you remember SA, there was a time when they were the only ones who had the... The, this, these, these contraptions for training pilots mm. on the African continent. Mm. And even Ethiopian Airlines used to send people here. Now they don't. Um, so, so, so you see, it's things like that that get lost in the bigger picture. You're absolutely right. There, there's things, there's, there's very important functions mm. within SAA, but they have to be maintained in a, in a sustainable framework that, yeah. that, that allows them to pay for themselves. But, but I'm also sitting here asking myself, I mean, just on that, I mean, mm-hmm. SAA technical for me mm-hmm. is probably where a lot more industrial capability, IP, totally. uh, and everything else sits that has industrial relevance for the society would sit. Mm-hmm. Yet I'm not hearing anybody talking about recapitalizing that. I mean, we heard some horrific stories in the State Capture Commission around what had been happening in the last few years. Yeah. I mean, right to the point of people stealing spanners and all manner of other things. So, so you're, you're exactly on point. I think we, we, we all get lost in the big picture. We all talk about this national pride and everything. But there's many implications to these failed things. I mean, look at Denel, the same thing. Denel actually has IP and it has engineering capacity mm. and, and, and qualifications that, that are relevant and that can take the country forward. But what are we talking about? Paying salaries next month, you see. So for sure, there's many conversations that need to be had. But you can't have them when you have the wrong business model, when you have the wrong people running, and when the imperatives are just completely inappropriate operating in a competitive world. What signal does this send to the marketplace? 
uh, especially those who might be uh, future potential creditors. I mean, somebody was, I think it was the Mail and Guardian that ran with the story that uh, the the debt position now of the, the SAA that's risen out of the ashes like a phoenix here is uh, less than 10 million rand or so. Uh, Why would you want to do business with them? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to understand. Like, what, if, if, if indeed we do get the announcement tomorrow, what signal does that send to yourselves uh, in the money markets? So people in the market will look and ask, who is this partner and how much is he on the hook for? Who's guaranteeing it? If this thing doesn't work tomorrow, who do I go to? So they know SAS itself is probably just a share. Um, the shareholder is going to tell you stand in line. So this person has to be able to either manage the claims or present you in a better light to the shareholder to settle, to settle you out. It's, going to, it's a hard slog. You're not just going to get some pretty face and say, this, this person has poured this money in. The, the person has to come with a plan, and the market has to believe in the plan up front. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't make uh, things that's, any, any that's easier. That's the reality. That's yeah. why you and I are so skeptical about this, mm-hmm. because it's very difficult to see who out there with the carnage that there's been in airlines in the airline industry, who out there is willing to step to step up to the plate? Yeah, it would be quite interesting if it would it would uh, be another state agency because then, I mean, I guess I, I mean that would, it would be, be a sight for sore eyes. Yeah, I mean, it would be a, certainly be a sight for sore eyes. Yeah, the Fashini Group. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, there was one sort of key metric that for me stood out in these in this set of numbers. Mm-hmm. It seems that investment in the digital omni channel is working because from eight point four percent to now twelve percent of total retail turnover. What have yes. they done right there? No, that's, that's phenomenal. And I think you've seen... Yeah, I mean, it's quite interesting uh, because I guess they're the ones who've been making considerable investments uh, in that space. Uh, but when you look at this set of numbers, I mean, some, I guess some measures certainly don't include uh, the performance of uh, some of the newer acquisitions like uh, yeah. some of the jet stores that uh, mm-hmm. I think here in South Africa, Eswatini and, uh, and Namibia, I think I stand to be yeah. corrected. Uh, but, but, but when you look at that... Yeah. part of the business, the existing mm-hmm. one just before they had Jet coming on, mm-hmm. uh, and the split between cash sales and credit sales, um, especially now in this moment of COVID where it does seem that l- lending requirements have become a lot more stringent. So, so the thing about it is, yes, credit sales did go backwards, but remember, the, the, there was the, and, and the credit book did shrink, but remember the whole thing about this was during lockdown, you couldn't go pay, out your, you couldn't go pay your account which means they couldn't also extend incremental credit. Remember, they like you to come to the shop uh, because as you're waiting in the queue to pay down your, your credit, you might see a shoe that you like or a shirt that you like and add it onto your account. So I think all of those are part of the dynamic around lockdown and inaccessibility. I think over the next 6 to 12 months, you'll see us coming out of that cycle and credit sales should start growing again. Um, I, I think they, they, they know their credit very well. There's, there's a segment of the population that has started working again and that earns money and that also had savings and is feeling a bit of a wealth effect. And they'll come through. They'll come through. So I think what you're seeing is just the impact of, uh, of the lockdown, changed behavior, um, and, and, the, and the logjam that happened then. Mm. The credit sales should start coming through gradually over the next 6 to 12 months. Should we expect more consolidation in this sector? 
sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and in what segments of it? I mean, because we do know that this is one of those sectors where you have you do have a considerable amount of stratification, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, it seems the contest has been on the budget retailer side. No, totally. So you've seen the budget retailers or the lower end retailers doing incredibly well, um, and the cash guys doing very well. On lower margins, good volumes, addressing a broader segment of the population. Mm. The high-end guys aren't doing as well. Um, there may be pressure on the high-end guys to diversify their offering or find some way of offering value to their customers. Um, that could be either in changing their store configurations, reducing their footprint, concentrating their footprint where their typical customers are, or, or, changing, or changing their offering so that people see greater value. Um, you're already seeing consolidation. I mean, there, there is no doubt. The number of people who've gone under or who are unable to maintain credit books has increased. And, mm. and, and I guess everything now depends on what happens to the broader Edcon group, um, who, gets that, 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 who gets that market share and who dominates in, in, in the consolidation around them. Mm. But definitely that's going to happen. I think there's far too much retail for a country our size for our level of for level of income. Um, Would you say there's also far too many malls? I mean, I guess retail doesn't happen just oh, in yeah. the air. There's just, uh, I was saying yesterday to somebody or this mm-hmm. afternoon, this seemingly incestuous relationship between big money, real estate, and I guess, you know, big retail. So, so if you think about it, what basically happened was the property company, the unit trust, found it easy to raise money. Mm. And because they would build new malls, each of the retailers had to participate in that expansion because you can't be, you you can't let your competitor go somewhere where where you're not. You think you lose market share. So there was that great expansion. Now post COVID, we're learning that maybe it wasn't really necessary. Maybe the base wasn't there. I think we our, our retail concentration here is among the highest in the world. I think we're more than is it Spain, if I remember right. Um. So yes, there is probably far too much retail space as well, and. It will be interesting to see how that consolidates because mm. once you've built it, you've built it, right? And how do you repurpose that, I mean, once you've built yeah, it? Yeah, that's the hardest thing. That yes. is the hardest thing. I think what you probably see is lower rental, um, a, a proliferation of smaller smaller spaces. Um, Pop-ups. And, and, and maybe even the smaller shops get... Uh, because it becomes harder now to justify all of the formats that exist. The big guys would want smaller formats the smaller guys will want lower rent. Um, you as a customer will have less choice um, in some of these places because they need to survive somehow. Mm, mm. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the last one before I let you go, Roy. Yeah. Um, I guess, uh, yeah, change of personnel, uh, deputy um, auditor general, uh, yes. now coming from the risk uh, advisory team out at Deloitte. Um, yeah, what do you make of this particular appointment? And I guess uh, an entity now, what with the mm-hmm. uh, Public Audit Act and uh, the new powers given to the AG, yeah. uh, that will certainly solicit a lot of attention. So, so the thing which never ceases to, to impress me is the level of qualifications and the sort of people that the government can get when it wants to, right? especially in positions such mm. as this. Everyone who sat in that position, both the Auditor General and his assistant, his her assistant, has always been impeccable credentials, highly qualified, well-respected. So I think it's a fantastic appointment. Um, the new teeth will be very useful, but ultimately what matters is if the enforcement agencies are willing to take some of these reports and act on them. That's the real, that, that, that is the real 
um, power of that office. They, they show what's going on in government. They show the weaknesses and the trouble. But now you need somebody who's able to enforce and punish people. Um, and and that's, that's what we need to see. Rather than every year going through this litany of um, wasteful and, and, and unnecessary expenditure, rather come out and say, yes, this was wasteful, this person was held responsible, this is the court case, or this is what has happened. Mm. You need to square that circle for it to actually have real teeth. And I guess the, the, one would think there's certain very strategic institutions in government where you probably need a very clear and institutionalized mechanism of getting some of the best skills that we might have in the private sector or even in civil society to come on board in some of these ones, least of all the Auditor Absolutely. General and Absolutely. even some of the Chapter 9 institutions. No, totally, because I, I guess people with these high qualifications and great experience, if they feel that there's a, there's a, there's a possibility of making a difference mm. uh, and that difference being visible, you, you'll be able to attract a much higher caliber of person or such a person will be able to stick around a whole lot longer because the caliber of person they're attracting is incredibly strong. Um, that, that, that is for sure. Your, your biggest thing is... do. Is it possible for them to make that difference um, in terms of changing the way the perceptions of government, perceptions of government operations, and perceptions of what actually happens on a day-to-day basis? Hmm. Roy, as always, my brother, a pleasure catching up with you, and uh, thank you very much for your time, and enjoy the rest of your evening. Cool. Thanks for having me. Awesome stuff. Roy Motoni there, uh, Portfolio Manager and Analyst at uh, APSA Asset Management, uh, helping us there to make sense of uh, the latest happenings in the marketplace and that big story. 100 megawatts now allowed for embedded self-generation without a need for a license from NARSA.